Good morning. Thank you. I'm Caleb, and it's my pleasure and honor, and um, honestly, I'm very humbled to be here standing in front of you guys today, getting to share the Word of God with you. I'm very excited. Um, I'm also excited. I know I'm probably stealing someone's thunder, but I'm excited about the partnership celebration on Thursday. Um, get to not just a chance to hang out with each other and be friends, but really get to share the uh, encouragement of what God's been doing in our lives and in our communities, um, and also get to eat tasty food together. Um, all about that. I love how our church has these um, get-togethers around food, and that we have lots of very good pastry and dessert cooks. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's actually a kind of a problem sometimes. Um, and I'm half joking, but half serious. Um, you, it's probably not the first thing on your mind based on my physique, but actually can have pretty bad self-control when it comes to food. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, but um, it's actually really a problem. And not just on like a physical level, but I think on a deeper level, you know, I can find myself um, choosing to satisfy like a need or a want with like going to something that's like sweet as opposed to um, turning to God and like saying, God, this has been my day, you know, um, or even, you know, to the point where I'm weighing my body down with, you know, a bunch of sugar or stuff that I don't need and I'm not as able to serve God. Like it's actually really embarrassing. Like the last, one of the last get togethers we had, I was just being completely honest, I had way too many desserts and I had diarrhea that night. Like it was bad. <laughs> So that's out there. Um, so why do I bring all this up? Is it to say that food is bad for us? Like, no, I, I think that we can agree that God's given us good things to enjoy. I mainly bring it up to illustrate this point that I'm about to make that in our minds, um, there's often a battle going on. We have you know, conflicting desires. For myself, I might have a thought that's like, ooh, it's been a long day. I know there's some chocolate in the cabinet. Might just like have a piece, you know, get that dopamine rush, feel a little bit better. But another thought will come up, be like, oh, but Caleb, like, that's not like gonna satisfy you. You know that you can only be satisfied in God. Like, you know, it'd be better to spend some time praying, talk to him about how your day's been. And then another thought is be like, but that's so easy, it's quick. I don't have to think about it. It's just like right there, and then back and forth. Um, does this is this familiar to any of you? Am I the only one? <laughs> So maybe not with food, but with other things. There are struggles in your mind where you're going back and forth. Um, and if it is true for you, then you're in good company, not just with me, but with Paul, as we're going to read about today in this passage, um, going back and forth with ourselves. And two main questions I want to highlight today, um, and hopefully we'll get somewhat of an answer to by the end. First one is, why do we as Christians keep on sinning? And the second one is, what is our response to this sin in our lives? Let me pray first. Holy Spirit, would you open up our, our eyes and our ears to hear the word that you have for us today? Would our hearts not be hard, but would we be ready to hear how you want to change our lives? Would you speak to us? the words that we need to hear. Would you open up your scriptures that we might really understand? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as you might have gathered from the two questions, we're going to talk a lot about sin today. And so 
We throw that word around a lot, and I think we probably all have a decent definition, but I thought it'd be fitting to kind of spend some time defining what sin is before we get into this some more. So, it, cause, because if we hold a view of sin that it's simply doing something that's wrong or not doing something that's right, then eventually we'll become like the Pharisees who just focused on the actual, like, you know, physical, like the letter of the law, like the actual words of it, and didn't focus on the point behind the law. So that's why I want to spend some time talking about what sin is. I think a basic acting definition that we can have is sin is any action that seeks to uphold ourselves over God. So anything that's putting my desires or me over God is sin. And it's damaging to our relationship with him and causing separation. So anything that's upholding myself above God and causing separation between me and him, we can call sin. So in the example of my example with food, my desire to uphold my personal satisfaction with food over my desire for God to satisfy me is sin, and it damages my relationship with him. Or another example is if I'm trying to look really good in front of my peers and my bosses and I'm seeking their attention and their praise more than God's praise, this is sin because it's damaging my relationship with him. And I struggle with this a lot. And I'm sure there are other things maybe that you can relate to or are different things. So yes, sin is you know a diffraction from the moral law, but we have to understand the heart of it, that it's much more ultimately about breaking this relationship we have with God. It's so ironic that we turn to these sins to make us feel complete, but at the end of the day, they just make us incomplete. So with this context of sin in mind, let's transition to Romans and get teed up to our passage with a running start by looking over some of the key points from the past couple of chapters. So Romans 6, Jesus died to give us new life if we consider ourselves dead with his death. The result of our previous lifestyle was bleak, we were stuck in it. We wanted to be our own boss, but Jesus freed us. And we no longer are under the, we no longer have the penalty of sin or the power of sin in control of us. So we are told not to let sin reign in our bodies, but present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Romans 7 talks about our relationship with the law. We no longer belong to law, as in, in a marriage when, when someone dies, the other person is no longer bound to the marriage. Secondly, the law is not sin, but helps us understand that we are sinning. As Heath taught last week, the law was meant to show us our need to be saved. It is beyond our effort, and we need a Savior. So if the law cannot save us, but only shows us our sin, where does that leave us? It's coming right up to our passage today, so let's read it together. You can, there's a Bible under your seat, hopefully, or it'll be on the screen. I would encourage you to follow along, even if it's on your phone, because it's a little bit Harry in point, so it's helpful to have something to be able to see, to track. So Romans 7 is where we're in, um, verses 14 through 25. And it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if, I do not, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Praise the Lord that there's good news at the end of that because it's, it's all too real. It's like, I don't do what I want to do, but thanks be to God. You know, there's, there's an answer at the end. So let's, let's go back through and unpack this, um, starting with verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So this starts to answer our first question, why do we as Christians keep on sinning? Verse 18 further emphasizes, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Our flesh is sold to sin. That's what the Bible says. And if we're surprised when we sin, we shouldn't be, because that's what the Bible says. We don't understand the nature of our humanness. I know a lot of um, religions or other philosophies say, you know, you just need to like tap into your inner goodness. We don't see that so much in the Bible. Um, quite the opposite. We have a myriad of verses Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Ephesians 2.1, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans 3, none is righteous. No one, no one understands. And then even in Romans 7, in a different translation, desiring to do good, I find this law, evil is natural to me. So in our definition of sin, this means that we naturally seek to put ourselves over God. We naturally seek that separation, even though we don't realize it. It gets better. Don't worry. This is the rough part. <laughs> so when you hear Paul write, nothing good dwells in me, does that make you like, like do a double take or like, what's he saying there? Like, wasn't, wasn't Paul saved? Like, wasn't Jesus living inside of him? Like, what's that all about? Um, hopefully that you, you like, some red flag pops up when you're reading that. Um, indeed, some people have thought that maybe Paul was writing this as from the perspective of someone who hadn't been saved, who hadn't accepted Jesus as their Lord. But that doesn't really make sense because he's writing in the present tense, like, I do what I do not want to do. And also because of the second point. So Paul also explains that part of him wants to do good. In verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is right. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So inside of Paul, there is another voice, another force or nature or whatever you want to call it. And I would argue that that proves that God has been at work at him. Because as we just read, let me find it. I am of the flesh. You know, I know that nothing good dwells in me. So if we see anything good in us, that must be the work of God in our lives. And so as kind of a side point, I would offer some encouragement for those of you who feel 
maybe frustrated or sometimes get really discouraged. Like, I sometimes feel like, man, am I even a Christian? I just keep screwing up and I keep, you know, I just can't get rid of it, you know? Um, but I'd encourage you that if you feel that tug, that tension of like, I'm not doing what I want to be doing because I want to follow God, then that's proof that he is at work in your heart. And that's an encouragement. So we have these two voices, forces, natures, you could say, inside of us, and they're in conflict. Verse 21 and 22 spells it out. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, indeed, even in our own bodies. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Just like before, when I was talking about my inner battle with overeating and too many sweets, there's a war going on. It's not comfortable. I sometimes look back on something that I do, and I'm like, was that me? Did I really just make that decision? <laughs> and I want to clarify, it's not like we have two separate persons inside of us. That would be really confusing. And I think that you know, some, some people in the past have tried to separate our mind and our body, but it, it's both us. We have to really own both of it in a way. Um, one way we can go wrong is like the Gnostics, which is a cult in the early church. They believed that everything of the flesh was evil and everything of the spirit was good. So everything that we did or anything of the flesh, we just like, it was just going to be evil, so it didn't even really matter. Like you could, that, the conclusion of that line of thinking is that you can just go do whatever you want because it doesn't really matter. It's just flesh, and I'm, I'm still good. I'm, the spirit in me is still good. Clearly, that's in contrast with the rest of Romans that Paul writes that we are responsible for our sin, that the cost of our sin is death. So there's this conflict inside of us. It's both us. And the sad news is, try as we might, we're losing a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, I don't know, maybe, uh, yeah, I think that's just the truth. There's no way of getting around it. Even for someone like Paul, if we can be like, well, maybe Paul like, was getting it right most of the time. No, he's saying in this chapter, I do not do what I want in verse 19. But the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Does this bother anyone else? <laughs> like, this is awful. I thought we died to sin. We talked about that in chapter 6. So take a minute to think about that. What does that mean? If we died to sin, why do we still live in this existence where we're still sinning? Does this make sense to anyone? <laughs> I've been struggling with this for a long time, um, trying to come up with an answer or something. Um, but I don't really have a great answer. This is one of the big questions today, and hopefully we'll get some sort of answer. But as we get into it, I wanted to just all take a step back with me, if you will, trying to ponder this question of why do we keep sinning if you know, Jesus died and we die with him? Let's take a step back all the way to the very beginning and get the big picture. So starting at the beginning, God is life. He is good. He created he created perfectly. He created us for relationship with him. Perfect union. No sin. By that definition of putting ourselves in for God or separated relationship, that by definition there was no sin. We had perfect relationship with him. Then sin entered the world through Adam. Adam and Eve chose to seek fulfillment outside of God. They sinned. 
And so sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's not just that Adam sinned. We have that same nature. The consequence of sin is that separation from God, eternal death. So at this point, we've reached the point where nothing good dwells in us, as we've read today, in our flesh. Good news is, that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus came down to earth, being God. He came down to earth, seeking to restore that relationship. He paid the price for the bondage that we had to sin, so that we could be free to live for him. That moment when we choose to accept Jesus' payment, we're immediately justified before God. I want to make that clear. In this like struggle we still have with sin, when we choose to accept Jesus, right then, he's paid the penalty for our sin and has no more power over us. Just to be clear. And the good news is that's a free gift. It's not like, okay, we've got it, but now we've got to like keep, make sure we don't keep sinning because God you know, paid for us. It's kind of like if someone buys you a nice gift, you're like, oh, I guess I have to like keep it up and I can't let anything wrong happen to it. That's not, that's not the case. It's a free gift. We don't do anything to earn it, and there's nothing we can do to prove ourselves as worthy of it. In fact, there's nothing our flesh can do at all. The, this part of the gospel is so critical when we're wrestling with this question of how do we respond to our sin? Because if our response is, well, I just need to try harder, I need to get, you know, I get, need, to, need to get my act straight, we're going to go off in the wrong direction. We've missed grace. We need to understand that there's nothing that we can do to earn this gift that we've been given. So, created perfectly, we sinned, separated from God. Jesus came to restore relationship. And having received grace from Jesus, this gives us the freedom to live for him. Before, we didn't have a choice. We were slaves to our sin, the Bible says. But now we have a choice. We have freedom. But we also read in this passage today that we continue to sin. <laughs> so we have these like two things that are just you know, very much um, in conflict. I'm still not very clear on this, so I kind of have a little bit of analogy. Hopefully that will help make a little bit of sense into this, like, we already are, you know, free from sin, but we're not. So let's just, let's just try this. So imagine that you're an Olympic athlete. I don't know, whatever sport you love to watch or do, think about that. So you're an Olympic athlete, the peak performance, that's like when God created us in perfection, just created for what we were meant to be perfect relationship with God. Then, one day, you had an accident and broke your leg. You're not able to compete anymore, um, and you have to go to the hospital and be in a hospital bed for months. You're just laying there, wasting away. That's kind of how we were when sin has entered our lives. We're like powerless to go and do the thing we were created for. Then one day, the doctor finally comes in and says, all right, you can go. You're free to go. So you're free to move about. That's like when Jesus comes justifies us and says, you know, no more penalty of sin. You're, you're, the penalty has been paid by Jesus. We're free to go. But at the same time, as you can imagine, for someone who's been laying in bed for several months, their muscle mass has like shrunk down and you can't, you could almost hardly walk, let alone compete in like a mile or a marathon. So we're in this condition where we have a drive to do what's good, but we have this body this sin nature 
that's stuck and is used to doing sin and is used to just languishing in bed. In the same way, when we want to trust Jesus for the salvation of our sin, we don't automatically become sinless. In other words, strong runners. We are conditioned by our sin. It's natural to us. So that, that's, therein lies the tension of what we want and what we, we desire, this perfect relationship and this body that we're stuck with. So that's kind of, I guess, somehow how I think about this question of why do we as Christians keep on sinning? And the second question is, what do we do with this? It's one thing to just know about it, but how do we respond to the sin in our lives? So there's a simple solution, and it's based on our definition of sin. If sin is choosing other things over God, then our response to sin should be choosing God first and simply hanging out with him, being with our Father, you know, choosing to spend time with him rather than being, uh, going after other things. And I would argue, rather than getting fixated on sin and trying to fix our problem ourselves and saying, okay, I'm going to do better, I'm not going to eat that thing, I'm going to like do this plan, I'm going to you know, work, you know, focus and beat myself up when I you know, get it wrong, that's not going to help us as much as if we, because the, the point is not the sin itself is the fact that it separates us from God. So therefore, the solution is not focusing on the sin itself, but focusing on our relationship with God and to enjoy God the way we were created to be. So we choose this by submitting ourselves, as Romans 6 says, to be slaves to righteousness. But it will be a fight, and we will fail, as I'm sure we all know in our experience. Going back to the runner analogy, you know, it's like training, you know, it's going to take a step. Maybe one day you're, you're just like walking, you know, maybe next day you can like run a little bit. Why didn't Jesus make us back to 100% immediately? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it seems like that'd be a lot easier. Just like, okay, I'm going to trust in Jesus. It's done with sin. Great. So I really don't know. But one thought is maybe that it's just one, he's smarter than me. Um, but two, maybe has some sort of mission for us in the, in the meantime of this, this struggle um, that we can share our hope in the midst of the struggle with others who are struggling. So I don't know. Defer to someone else to figure that one out. But we'll come back, coming back to where we're going, um, it's frustrating, you know? It's kind of like if you've seen yourself run a six-minute mile and you're out of shape and you get back out there and you're like, plugging away at like 14 minutes, and it's like, what am I doing? This is frustrating. And Paul is very much in agreement. He, he's even like mad. He's like, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's almost like Paul's like, there's this dead body that I have to drag around. It's gross. Who's going to help save me? The good news is the next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks for what? First, for paying the price for our sin, as we've talked about, and freeing us to live for his kingdom. Whether you feel like you're running a six-minute mile right now, you're on top of your game, whether you feel like you're running a 600-minute mile, or even if you feel like you're going backwards, the good news is that if you call yourself a Christian, Jesus loves you. He loves you. Just let that sink in. 
that you don't have to worry about your performance. Jesus has paid the price for your sin, and he invites us back to relationship with him. In our struggle with food, with pride, with self-centered thoughts, whatever your struggle may be, it's easy to get discouraged. You know, we can look over at the, you know, the six-minute milers, look at the Matt Stevens over there booking it down the hill and be like, man, when am I ever going to be? I don't even have running shoes, you know? (laughs) It's easy to get discouraged about our spiritual walk, you know, because we keep sinning. But know that there is no guilt. There's no need for fearing our imperfection. There's no condemnation. If you've made Jesus your Savior and Lord, there's nothing you need to do to earn your salvation. You're secure in his love. Beloved brothers and sisters, know that you are loved by God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the first thing we have to be thankful with in this journey. The second thing is we can be thankful that God has made it so that there will be a day that we are utterly free from sin. In other words, we are utterly free from this separation from God, that we can be with him forever, because there can be no sin if sin is separation from God, if we're with God. It's like, oh, okay. That day is coming. It's not now, but it is coming, and we can thank God and look forward to it. Thanks be to God that this struggle, this tension, it sucks. It's not forever. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So why do we as Christians keep on sinning? It's because we have this sin nature that we can't get rid of. And what is our response to sin in our lives? To constantly keep running, training to run back to Jesus, knowing that there will be struggle knowing that his blood covers our failures and that we will ultimately get to be with him forever. And that's the good news. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that even though we struggle so much with this sin nature and We want to see these desires killed, and we want to die, and we just keep failing. We know that you love us through it all, and that you are working in us. We thank you for that. We thank you that you have prepared a place for us that we can truly be with you and not be separate anymore and not struggle anymore. We look forward to that, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.